This is the business of sports. Should Major League Baseball shorten up the season? How do we present football to the audience of the future? I don't think that most players understand the power that they have. Michael Barr. The future of IndyCar racing is looking bright. Scott Soshnick. Very basic math here. More bidders means more money. Evan Novi Williams. The team value has essentially quadrupled. And the leaders in the sports industry. Time to bring in our guest, Hal Steinbrenner. National Hockey League Commissioner Gary Bettman. Atlanta Braves President Derek Schiller. Patriots President Jonathan Kraft. Bloomberg Business of Sports. From Bloomberg Radio. Hello, I'm Michael Barr. I'm Evan Novi Williams. And I'm Scott Soshnick. Every week at this time, plus Mondays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays, we explore the big money issues in the world of sports. Coming up on the show, we speak with Amy Latimer, president of TD Garden, on running the most active, highly regarded, and successful sports and entertainment venues in North America and renovations in the works. We're putting what I think is going to be one of the coolest clubs in the country on the top level of the building. Um, We're actually hanging seats over the edge of that top level and making a club. Stay tuned for more of our interview with TD Garden President Amy Latimer in a few minutes. But first, let's look at the top stories of the week. And let's start with the PGA Tour Championship that's taking place on Long Island. And ticket prices or tickets in general, what's going on with that? Yeah, we talked last last month when Tiger had that historic win at the Masters of all the ways in which he was boosting the golf business, right? TV jumped. Equipment sales jumped. Even some golf stocks took a jump after after that win. But heading into the second major tournament of the year, ticket prices were pretty low, the, the lowest we'd seen in a couple years, including two events that Tiger wasn't even playing in. So at least at the PGA tournament happening this weekend, uh, th- that big Tiger bump didn't translate to the ticket market. I don't know who runs the concession stands and the merch tents over there at Beth Page Black, but I got to tell you, Taking a page from the U.S. Tennis Open, where every year the most popular item is a huge tennis ball, one of the huge fuzzy yellow tennis balls, but yeah. you know they're on, you really wrap your <laughs> arms around them. Well, they did the, almost the same thing: the big bouncy golf ball, and, and they're they've they've got that stamp when you go to Beth Page Black. Like someone like me. They don't want me carving up that course. It says like it's almost like a carnival ride where it says like this is dangerous. It's really you know, be careful. They say this is a really hard course, so just be be aware that Beth Page Black is really hard. They've got that that sign that's at the course now on a lot of the merch, so it's a cool thing to have. Apparently, they're selling tons of them. Definitely smart. And and one other thing to note real quick on the tickets, this is the first year of a shifted golf schedule. The the PGA Championship used to be played in late July or in August. They moved it up into May this year, kind of reshuffling the tournament, trying to get the the later, more important events away from the NFL schedule. Uh, So unclear exactly how much that factored. It's obviously colder up in New York in in May than it would be uh, in August. But, you know, the ticket price is certainly not at, at the level I think a lot of people expected following Tiger Woods Masters And I wish everybody good luck on the Belt Parkway in the southern state. (laughs) (laughs) Let's head to Europe for our next topic. Soccer or football or whatever the heck you want to call it. Manchester City is finding itself in a bit of trouble this week. Yeah, our buddy Tarek Pandrover at the Times broke the story that uh, there is a move afoot to ban Man City from the Champions League. And by the way, that's been, what, $100 million, $125 million possible revenue from being being in Champions League, yeah. If you if you go far, easily a hundred million for sure. Yeah, this is about financial fair play. We've hearing we've been hearing about that with the bigger clubs in Europe for some time. With Man City owned by Sheikh Mansour of Abu Dhabi, there's been this conflict of whether 
the Etihad sponsorship of the team is really a sponsorship or is the Sheikh just injecting money into the team? It's hard to part and parcel. Where does the money come from? How do they account for it? Uh, the ruling bodies over there, UEFA seems to think that it is not a sponsorship. It's just a way for the Sheikh to put more money into the club. And that does not adhere to the financial fair play rules. So they'll get their uh, their tribunal and uh, we'll, we'll see if they get barred from Champions League. But that's a big deal. Okay. And, and just to explain it, financial fair play, the rules in, in UEFA, the, the European soccer bodies, say that teams are only allowed to spend roughly within what they're bringing in, right? It prevents owners from just pouring tons and tons of cash into a team that isn't making that money back from media, ticket sales, or sponsorships. And as Scott explained, where it gets tricky with Man City is that, you know, the the owners of Man City, the football team, also have a lot of other business interests that are tied to the team. So trying to unroll whether that money is a sponsorship or a cash infusion is what they have to figure out. And and City, for, you know, they, they issued a pretty strongly worded statement, said the whole thing was wholly unsatisfactory, curtailed, and a hostile process. Yeah, but they went after the leaks, you know, that it was in the media. Yeah. Uh, also, by the way, the ownership group, that is New York City Football Club. That's sure. also the parent club. It does all, it sounds a lot like people in Europe are approaching this in the same way that, that I think American sports fans think of the NCAA investigating a big blue chip program like Ohio State. Um, and I think there are people out there that think this is an interesting litmus test for if the governing, the investigative bodies, the governing bodies of European soccer, um, if they find it, you know, find that they, they can punish Man City, that may be a good indicator that in the future, when, when this props up with other huge brands, global, rich soccer teams in the world that they'll be willing to uh, to act appropriately there too. You just answered the question. I was going to ask why is it a rule in the first place that the Sheikh can't even put more, more <laughs> money into the team and you answered that question. There you go. There's haves, there's have mores, there's have it alls and have nots. <laughs> there's a lot of economic yeah. inequality in, in soccer ownership at the European level and this is UEFA's attempt to kind of keep that under checks to a certain degree. And finally we have this story out of Minnesota. The Twins. <laughs> We can go to this game. Offering fan tickets for just five bucks. And, uh, gee, I wonder why there was a long line. Well, you know what? This normally happens when your team stinks and you need to bring them in. <laughs> yes. But this is a first-place team, not draw. Remember yeah. the, the old Homer Hanky days where you had, what, Gladden, Maurer, like, and they really just drew really well? Gary Gaetti. Remember Gary Gaetti? Yeah. yeah. Uh, apparently it's not happening. But for five bucks— Right away, the 20,000 seats sold. I mean, it makes sense. Just get people these days, especially with the economics of sport and how so much of it is the scale of media and how you're generating revenue that way. It would behoove you just to get fannies in the seats and then let them buy those high margin items like your waters, like your sodas or french fries. Just get them there. It doesn't matter if they don't spend 30 bucks a ticket. My question when I saw this, and they sold out in the grandstand, it was $5 seats for the rest of May, all their games left in May. They sold them out very quickly. If you're a Twins fan who bought a grandstand seat a month ago for one of these games in May and you paid a lot more than $5, are you are you upset by this? I mean, there are always in these ticket promotions the risk of alienating what are probably your most avid fans, the ones who back in April or maybe even in March said, you know what, I want to make sure I can get to a Twins game in May. I'm going to pay full price right now. Um, and you don't want in the future fans thinking, you know, I, I do want to go to a Twins game, but maybe I'll wait and, and not buy tickets just in case they do a $5 promotion later on in the year. Oh, please. You want a fun game? Next time you get on a flight, say, what'd you pay? 
Turn to the person next to you. What'd you pay? Then you go to the next person. What'd you pay for your seat? The spread can be pretty wide. But you, you hit the nail on the head earlier, just getting fannies in the seats, because it's a bad look when you go to the TV shot and there's a total of four people in the stands. I mean, that really looks bad. And just getting people in the seats itself that works. And just to preview the conversation we're about to have with Amy Latimer, uh, it's really important for teams when they sell tickets to get the, the they want the data, right? And, and they don't often get data from, from resale tickets. But every one of these $5 sales that the Twins made is data of, of fans, possibly new fans, possibly returners to Target Field. Uh, but that is data. They know exactly who that customer is. They can target that customer, as Amy explains, with potential food and potential merchandise offers as well. So, you know, don't don't underscore the fact that there is importance of just getting, you know, getting people buying from the Twins themselves as opposed to going through a secondary market where they might not have as much visibility into who that customer is. Bar, you see he snuck another underscore in there? I saw him. He never stopped. I mean, he just keeps promoting like the Twitter it. feed. I like it, He's man. Novi Williams at <laughs> Novi underscore Williams. There it is. <laughs> Up next on the show, we are joined by Amy Latimer, president of the TD Garden. Yeah, if you don't know, we should say that's the Boston Arena. She is responsible for the day-to-day operating function of the building, one of the most active, highly regarded, successful sports and entertainment venues in North America. Amy, thank you for joining us on the Bloomberg Business of Sports Show. Thank you for having me today. So the Garden, obviously home to both the Boston Celtics and the Boston Bruins, two of, I would imagine, two of the more successful franchises we've seen in the past 20 years in both sports. Do you just block out all of May as I'm working, I'm putting my head down this entire month every year? Yeah, so actually April through June, because we're a two-team building, and this year there were only two team only two arenas in the country that had both teams in the playoffs, us and Denver. So we Wait, wait, are, you mean to tell me Amy it's not New York? <laughs> <laughs> it is not. Shocking. <laughs> sorry, um, sorry all our Nixon Ranger fans. Yeah, I, I sorry, I I'm not feeling bad right now. Um but uh so we have to be very careful about uh, if we take on any shows. Like we did have share on a Sunday night, and the way things were coming out, that could have been a game for us. And we knew when we booked that show that we might have to move it. But we don't take a lot of risks having two teams, and as you said, that have been so successful. We have to be really careful with our calendar. I think sports fans realize there are arenas out there that you know that have two teams. Sometimes during the playoff scheduling can be hard. I don't think they realize how hard it is. Talk to me about. May 3rd and May 4th. May 3rd, looking at the calendar here, 7 a.m., you guys had Northeastern's graduation, and that night the Celtics played a a playoff game, and the following day, Saturday, May 4th, the Bruins and and the Blue Jackets played Game 3. How do those three events within essentially a 24-hour span, how do you manage to put all those things together? Yes, so, and last year was even worse. I'll tell you, last year we had the Celtics playoff game on Thursday night, Northeastern graduation Friday morning and Bruins Friday night, even in closer um, proximity. So I, I think we have the most amazing operations team and bull gang in the country because we are such a busy building. And, you know, we, we are, we've had some cadence. We've done this before. We figure out how to, you know, quickly turn it around. I'll tell you from the graduation standpoint, it's actually easier for us to go to hockey than it is to basketball. Hmm. Um, but they work through the logistics. And, you know, the leagues understand, right? The leagues, and, and it's early in the early rounds, there's – I wouldn't say there's a ton of flexibility, but the two leagues work really well together to look to make sure they're not crossing over on dates um, as well. Um, so it is 
it's it's a triage, right? It's our team. Uh, we have an, a VP of event scheduling. That's all he does is deal with the leagues and, and working out these dates and times. Um, and it's being logistically really sound. How much does it cost to go from basketball to, to hockey rink in terms of the labor and, and everything else that's needed? Here comes the union. Yeah, <laughs> yeah well, and it, and it depends, right, if you have to do an overnight or if you have the day. Mm. So, and it depends if it's a holiday. If you're doing Sunday to a Monday, um, a holiday, a weekend. So the costs vary, but it's, you know, it's tens of thousands of dollars to do a changeover. And the changeover takes about two and a half hours. So we have doubleheaders during the year, right? Like the day after Thanksgiving, we always have a doubleheader. We usually have the Bruins at noon and the Celtics at 7.30. We have that game. We pray for no overtime. We pray for a regulation win. Everyone prays. They're standing there on the sides waiting you know, for the game and then quickly go in to, to turn it over. The beautiful parquet floor. I always love that floor as the most yeah. recognizable court in, probably in the NBA. But when you have a situation like that where you have to – put it on top of the ice for Bruins game. I've always wondered how come the ice didn't melt if you have to do it that way. Yeah, so the ice, imagine below the ice, it's cement, and there's all of these pipes with the coolant that's running through it, and that's what keeps the ice cold. And the ice is actually not very thick. Then for when you go to parquet, you actually put this black subfloor down. So um, we keep the ice in all year. Um, if we have a concert, we put the black subfloor down and then put the chairs and the um, stage on top. When you go to parquet, it goes ice, subfloor, and then parquet. And, it's, and it stays cold. And then we take it up, and then we flood it and clean it and get it ready for the hockey game. We prefer on the doubleheaders to go hockey than basketball. It's just easier ice quality, you know, makes, makes it um, a better experience. We are chatting with Amy Latimer, president of TD Garden. By the way, are you okay if I slip and call it Fleet Center or the Garden? I, mean, does it, I, I know the sponsors aren't, but you understand, right? Well, when I started, it was Shamit. Um, and then before the building opened, it flipped, it flipped to Fleet Center. And that, so we've had a number of name changes. I think what's been great is that TD recognized that the garden should be back in the name, right, because we were TD Bank North, but now to be the TD Garden. So, you know, garden should be in our name, and, and I appreciate that TD did that. But sometimes people drop the TD. We, we, we try very hard to keep it in there. I am I am guessing here the only person involved in this show, probably except for you, who has actually banged his head trying to duck into the old press box at the garden. <laughs> so that shows you how old I am. But but let me ask you about the business of buildings. Because nowadays media has surpassed ticket revenue in terms of I won't say importance, but in terms of dollars. How, what's been the evolution of the business of buildings? We had a time there where it was all about premium experience. You see that with Yankee Stadium. What's the philosophy mm -hmm. at the garden behind the business of the building? Well, I, you know, so premium for us is still equally important. And actually, we've actually transitioned, and ours is now at Boston Garden Society. It's a it's a third of our revenue. It's really important to us. And in, in, in Boston, you know, these are not um, city or state-owned facilities, right? They're private. And so the maintenance and the reinvestment, and the Jacobs family has been unbelievable here. We did a $70 million renovation in 15, 2015 and 16, and now we're doing a $130 million expansion of this building. So reinvesting is important. You know, the other area that's, um, you know, a big revenue stream is your corporate partnerships um, sponsors. And then, and then you have the events. That's for the building because the teams, 
you know, they have their ticket revenue, and that's where the media, uh, you know, their TV rights and everything else goes to the two teams. So imagine the two teams have their separate P&Ls that have those elements, and then for us, it's, as I mentioned, the Boston Garden Society premium sponsorship and events. Now, you do have – are you calling it a transformation? Because that's what we had at Madison Square Garden. I had lunch the other day, by the way, with Hank Ratner who was the CEO of MSG when he oversaw that transformation. I got to tell you, he was not the same man when that was over as when it began. That's a, (laughs) that, that is a very difficult thing to do. Talk about having no wiggle room. What are you looking at? Yeah. So theirs was, you know, over a few uh, years, right in the summer. um, And, and theirs was, uh, yeah, theirs was a totally different renovation than ours. So for us, we did, I would say the interior of the house. You know, you're always investing, right? It's like owning a house. Like we did the roof, we did all the utilities and infrastructure, we went green, we made sure that we had all the right lighting and everything. Then what I consider we did our the equivalent of our kitchen. We did our concourses where all of our food and beverage, all all of it was um, renovated down to studs. We're totally different. Now we cook in all of those stands. And the reason why we wanted to make sure that we upgraded all those areas, including Wi-Fi and, and our digital presence from a sponsorship standpoint TVs, is because we knew that we were eventually going to have this opening this new front door and that um, and the development, the hub out front. So we needed to make sure the building, uh, which is 24 years old, was up to speed. Um, so we did that renovation. Now we're doing this $100 million renovation because, well, 130 total. Because of the development, we're actually expanding the building. So most people build new or they renovate, but we're taking the building out 55,000 square feet in total on six different levels and and just you know everything from new locker rooms to uh we're putting what i think is going to be one of the coolest clubs in the country on the top level of the building um we're actually hanging seats over the edge of that top level and making a club that is i would say for the younger generation it's open it's not dedicated seating um you know Food that's um, that's the only place in the building that you can get it. Craft beers, like a really totally different environment. And then down through the rest of the building, we're doing things. Our lens was, you know, what are the things that maybe we needed to do over the last 23 years? What do we need today, and what are we building for the future? So it's everything from restrooms, uh, single-use rooms, to more food and beverage, to communal places for people to gather. It's just it's fascinating. It's so exciting. Amy, I wrote something earlier this week about the Carolina Hurricanes, the the Bruins uh, Eastern Conference final opponent. Uh, They had, in the first five home games that they hosted in the playoffs, had the five highest selling merch nights uh, in franchise history. Uh, To me, a good kind of reminder of of kind of the important and the financial benefit of just making the playoffs. If you can, obviously tickets are a little more expensive in the playoffs, but you guys sell out, you know, all the Boston Celtics and Bruins games. How much more? How much more revenue comes in for a playoff game at, at the Garden than kind of a regular season standard hockey or basketball game? Yeah, so it depends on the day, right? Mm-hmm. So um, I'll tell you that um, you know a day game is different than a night game. Mother's Day is different in what way? than a Saturday Which is night better? game. Just from a from a food and beverage standpoint, right? So your consumption or your sweets or what people what their behaviors are are different on a three o'clock Sunday than they are on a Saturday night. Eight o'clock game, 
right? The retail absolutely. So I, the retail escalates as the, as the as the team as each round goes, right? People are buying more. Different people are coming into the games. Then you start to get specific merchandise for the playoffs, Eastern Conference Finals. Hopefully the next round with that nice little you know Stanley Cup on it. So the merchandise continues to to grow. Mm. The food and beverage. You know, it, it, it's it's incremental, but I think, um, like I said, depending on the days, sometimes it could just be equal to a regular season game versus where most of them it, it's it's incremental. All things being equal, let's just say a playoff game on a Saturday night. What's the kind of the profile of Celtics fans versus Bruins fans in terms of how much they eat and drink, how much they buy at concessions? I mean, the games are obviously structured a little different from periods versus halftime. Kind of how different are, are those two fan groups in terms of what they're buying when they're there? So they, they do have different habits, the Celtics fans versus the Bruins fans. Um, I think timing coming into the building is different. The NHL fans, the Bruins fans are on time because they could miss one goal and that could be the whole game. Um, and sometimes the Celtics uh, fans come in a little bit later, um, not terribly later. Just it's it's maybe not as critical to be there for tip off. Oh uh, wait a minute, and Evan! Then, it sounds to me like Boston is starting to adopt some LA behavior. <laughs> no, 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 no. Those are dirty what? words. Wow! All those years of rivals, I didn't realize they were starting to behave like each other. <laughs> I just I was comparing them to the Bruins fans. Not sure, the fans. sure. <laughs> um, and it's not drastic, right? It's just it's just a it's just a little bit. It's you know a few minutes. But um, then we see sort of the behavior of the two fans. You know, they're. I would say their food consumption is pretty similar, although it's really interesting for us for some reason. We sell so much more gelato um, ice cream on Celtics games than we do on Bruins. <laughs> well, it's colder in the rink. And I have no idea why. I have no idea. We have no idea why, but our lines for gelato are I can't, I, we, we're not even sure why. What's your highest margin item? If you could say we're going to sell more of what, what would be the, the biggest hit in the building? What is the highest margin item from a food and beverage standpoint? I don't even I don't even know. I'd have to ask Sports Service, our vendor, what's the highest margin item? We're talking with Amy Latimer, president of the Boston TD Garden, and I have to ask too, it, it, what do you think about going cashless? There have been a number of arenas now going cashless and just going to the card. Your thoughts about that? Sure. So um, we actually we didn't uh, adopt cashless. We did more of a cash reduction program, um, and we actually started it last season. And the reason why we were doing it is that we saw um, that we were sixty percent cash to forty percent credit, and the length of time and the sort of the guest experience wasn't. Wasn't great. It just took longer. You're and then you know back of house. You're dealing with money. So we um, we took some of our concession stands. So imagine if there were four points of sale, we converted three of them to credit or Apple Pay. You know, hopefully eventually it's tap and go, and then had one cash. And we and I think our fans. It was really pretty a pretty easy conversion. We ended up closer to eighty five credit fifteen cash. 
you know, probably before the end of the season. Um, now, we would never not accept cash somewhere, right? And we understand that, you know, either concessions or retail, that we're always going to have a cash option. We see it when we have concerts. We see young kids coming in and they have their money. They're looking to buy T-shirts or sweatshirts. So we'll always have a cash. We won't eliminate cash, but I think just increasing the amounts of point of sale for credit um, just made an overall better guest experience. Right, you set me up, Amy, for an easy segue. One of our favorite okay. folks here, friend of the program, Jessica Gilman, over at uh, Kager. Yeah. Uh, you're a big data as well. You're, you, you like your data. Uh, the credit card allows you access to data. What are you doing? What, what are you collecting? How much more are you collecting about your customers these days? What are you doing with it? And tell me if you can, if you can project three to five years out, what will you be utilizing the data for? So the the data that we're collecting, we're not collecting personal information on the credit card. Um, it, it just helps us understand the transactions and timing. And certainly we were understanding already what we were selling. I think for us it's more about mobile. That The fact that we've transitioned to, I think four years ago, we were 8% mobile tickets, and now we're in the 60% range. That that gives you an opportunity with people using mobile tickets, so mobile parking, mobile tickets, transitioning to doing mobile food and beverage, and ultimately retail, understanding that customer. Because, you know, you could come in with a, with a hard ticket, and we have no idea who you are when you're in the building, right? Somebody could buy a ticket, give you a hard ticket, and, and you're in. By using mobile, we have the opportunity to understand what people want and what habits they want and real-time marketing. So if you're somebody that comes in and likes to go to the pro shop, then we're more likely to send you an offer for the pro shop, um, and that's something that's valuable to you. Would you be using you, Beacon technology at all? Like if I happen to cross a pro shop, I get an alert, like, hey, that T-shirt you were looking at is available? More, less beacon technology, more the fact that we know that you're in the building because you use the TD Garden app and that's how you're managing your tickets okay. or your food and beverage. So we know you're here. So then it's less that when you walk by the pro shop, it's more like, okay, well, we know, um, you know, Joe Smith is here and Joe Smith likes to buy from the pro shop, but he hasn't. Let's send him, let's send him an offer versus somebody else that comes in that doesn't really go to the pro shop, but usually buys food and beverage that you're more likely to make an offer to them. So it's, it's, it's targeting and making sure that people are getting something valuable while they're here and understanding, I think everybody, everybody in sports that wants that 360 view of that customer. One, again, for that value proposition to, to, to offer them something, but also if, you're, if you need to sell tickets or you're looking to um, market to people, you're looking to try to find people that are similar habits and demographics. And how granular... And, and, oh. How granular do you guys go? If I if I buy a Patrice Bergeron jersey, do you, I mean, do you mark me as oh, he, this is a Patrice Bergeron fan? Go Charlie McAvoy, if, former New Jersey Rocket. <laughs> if I'm buying chicken nuggets, do you know? Okay, this this guy likes chicken nuggets. How granular do you go on 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 your preferences of fans? So that's the, the we'd like to get that granular. We're not exactly that granular today. I think um, again, I think tickets and parking, um, mobile food and beverage. I think we'd need to close the loop with retail mm -hmm. um, and and anything else. You know, other tickets. So and even on that profile, you might be buying you know Bruins tickets and Charlie McAvoy, but you might also come to. WWE or something else. And now we can add to the profile what other events you like, and we can make sure we make those offers for those other events to you. So it's not just 
the team aspect for us. It's about all the events that we have here. All right, Amy, we have spoken here many times to Steve Pagliuca and Wick mm-hmm. Rosebeck. I don't think they're so happy with the yellow seats. Now, I know they're just a tenant in the building. Are they ever going to get some green seats for the Celtics games? Well, let me put it this way. They're not getting green seats, but we're going to have new seats this summer. Ooh. Neutral seats. Oh, they're so going to be neutral. Okay. Black and gold or oh, that, That's not neutral. That's way, Bruins. Rangers red. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> Wait a minute. They, actually, they technically have green seats today. The club seats are green today. But, um, the, no, we're going with a neutral color for the whole building. We're replacing all of the seats this summer. Um, and, you know, better seats. That, again, you know, we opened in 1995. And even though we replaced seats, this is part of our transformation that, you know, we're going to have um, that seating project take place this summer. Right, are you going to sell those seats? Because I bet you guys can make a lot of money for, for big sporting fans. Well, so it's interesting. So I was here when we sold the old Boston Garden seats, and those are actual seats, right? It's a top and a bottom, and they're connected. These seats are our seats. I'm not sure if all the other arena seats today are not a full seat. Like, there's a back and there's a bottom. And so I've talked to season ticket holders and people about, well, would you be interested in the backs? Because you know, they might have your number on it. You know that you were Loge 1, Row 15, Seat 5, and we have your Seat 5. Um, but we won't be selling the whole seats because it's not constructed that way. It's not an actual piece, piecemeal seats. Seat. <laughs> yeah. well, right. I'm not sure anybody's buying the bottoms, but I think people will buy the backs. Okay. And I, if I end on this, just because we have a lot of listeners in New York, we have a lot of arenas here. We have Madison Square Garden, Barclays Center, Prudential Center in Newark, Nassau Coliseum on Long Island, and yet another one coming online. How difficult is it going to be for a new arena? Uh, so are you talking about the Belmont yes. arena? Yes, the New York Islanders are proposed arena in yeah. Belmont. We got, we got a lot of competition yeah. already. Just curious, your take, would you, would you want to be part of that project? Uh, well, one, I think it's a fantastic project for the Islanders, but um, I guess I'm fortunate that we're the largest arena in New England, and I, and I like it that way, um, because when you're routing concerts, uh, and, you know, we've had record concert years, 45 concerts in the past two years, I'm sure there's competition for those concerts, how many are going to play in that market. Um, the team perspective, I think, you know, those Islanders fans are going to go there. That's not – I don't think they're fighting for team fans. I think it's going to be the other event. It's the ancillary businesses around the, the non-game nights. Correct. Interesting. Correct. And All you know right. what? And that's why I think, like, we're, uh, you know, building the hub on Causeway, that retail development. I think that's, that's the trend for most of the teams today, right? You've got to have more than just the arena. So – you know, we have the largest grocery store in Boston. We have restaurants. We have movie theater. We have hotel, um, hotel office space, residential. Like that, that's the value proposition for those arenas going forward. So I don't know, you know, if that's part of Belmont's, but that's that's a differentiator for sure. And so if, if Bar here wants to buy one of those seatbacks, what's it going to cost them? Uh, I'm sure that I got a good deal for you. Oh, there you go, Bar. We'll throw in a Bill Russell jersey, and we're good. <laughs> <laughs> Amy Latimer, president of TD Garden, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, guys. You know, guys, one thing I finally have learned about what happens so that when you have a hockey game and a basketball game, and you got to put 
the parquet floor on top of the ice because that happened. You, and sometimes you've really never Googled this before. No, no, no. Like I mean, the, because the time sometimes, lapse. don't you remember some times where they did that and the floor began to sweat, well, the condensation, and the yes. condensation, and yes. they had to clean it up. This, um, so I'm like, how do you do it so it doesn't melt and you don't have that problem? And Amy explained how you do it. There's a little layer, like a kind of like a sandwich, a cement cement layer. Yeah, yes. And then you have the the kind of the black thing that tarp thing that goes in between the ice and in the park. I think that's the technical term for the yeah, that's piece it. of equipment. That's, that's, the, yes. that's it right there. I love that in Boston, because of it, like the months are just blacked out. And there's <laughs> like, we're taking risks. Like we may have to call Cher and say, you know, sorry, but Zdeno Chara scored a goal last night and we're coming back to Boston, you know? Do you so, yeah, I mean, it's a bit of, like how much, everything you try to be prepped and scripted, of course, that's what you're trying to do. But in reality, you see it's a bit of a juggling act. Because you're doing sports, you just don't know. Four games, five games, seven games, you don't know. So you do the best you can, you take some risks, you look where you can, and sometimes it works out for you, and sometimes you have to call share. <laughs> I, I love when we have guests that describe parts of their job that, you know, People, even us who know a lot about this business, might not think about it all the time, but when they say it, you know, makes total sense. And I thought Amy did a really good job with that. The idea I'd never thought about wh whether an arena has a preference of going from hockey to basketball or basketball to hockey in terms of ice conditions, etc. Um, the idea that Bruins fans show up earlier than than Celtics fans because they don't want to miss a goal. Yeah, a goal matters a lot more. The gelato sales for basketball, but not hockey. Uh, there was a lot in there. The time of day and how that matters for what you're selling from a sessions and a merchandise standpoint there's a lot in there that makes a lot of sense but but i don't think average sports fans or even myself really think that much about i it. want to make it a mission of mine to find out or force amy and everybody else up there to find out what is the gelato yeah, thing can we get the gelato what answer is, why can we how do we find out why that gelato disparity the temperature feels like the I, obvious I thought that one. was the obvious. it's colder in the ring for the yeah. hockey game I, I, that's that sounds like the obvious but you're also playing in winter and for basketball too, not but it's a gelato. I mean, you, if I pass a gelato, sound like I gotta get me some gelato. <laughs> it's not that cold. You got a sweatshirt on. I've been to plenty of hockey games. It's not sub freezing. Maybe there's a subconscious. You're watching men perform in tank tops and sweating. And that makes you feel Feels hotter if you, than if you're watching men not sweating necessarily as much in sweaters. That's fantastic. But <laughs> I want an answer. Uh, Amy, you're on notice. Or other listeners. I want an, anybody, or yeah. anybody. I, psychologists. I want an answer as to why there's more gelato during the Celtics game. My goal is to be the number one pick. That's something I've been dreaming of since kids. It feels better to be number one than number five. I wear the number because of Mike. We have a chance to go for three in a row. Good numbers at a good time. When I first started wearing that number, I was just happy and proud. Bloomberg Business of Sports. The number of the week. Number of the week. Now it's two. Two numbers or the numbers two? There are two numbers. Oh. oh. I thought six, it was a good question. <laughs> Thank you. Six to four. That's six T-O four. That sounds like to uh, four. Uh, it wouldn't be odds because that would be three to Short two. Shortstop to second baseman. Ooh. Trammel to Whitaker. That was very good. Thank that's you. That's wrong. I know, but, but I knew you'd enjoy it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I'll give you a hint. We talked about this earlier this week. Ugh. As, as, as our listeners now know, I... Do my emails while Lippin is waxing poetic, so I'm not sure that's helping me right What's now. What's my excuse? I black out while I'm waxing poetic. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I what do we got? Remember, we had a question, and we put it on. Oh, I, put I know it what on it is. Twitter. Oh, data versus yes. data. Do yes, you yes, say data, data or do you say data? Data one. 
six data. Uh, out data of the one. ten people say data. Yeah, data, and that's what Amy used as Four well. Right? Out of I say data. People, I say data also. Yeah. Say data. I was that's your first. I, I was your data. first respondent. <laughs> I would call that a that success. I would call me. that a I successful was, Twitter poll. <laughs> that is a successful Twitter it poll. It did. It worked. I was surprised. It's Paging like, Darren Ravel. <laughs> Hey, this has been the Bloomberg Business of Sports podcast. I'm Michael Barr, along with Scott Soschnick and Evan Novi williams We are here each and every Monday, Wednesday, and Thursday exploring the world of money and sports. Join us again next week when we speak with the biggest and brightest in the sports business industry. You're listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports on Bloomberg Radio around the world and online where you get your podcasts.